Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Gardeners of the Galaxy, a podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I am Emma the Space Gardener and I will be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. The last 10 days have been interesting ones here in the orbital garden because not only are we still in lockdown but we have been living without heating and hot water during the middle of winter. And there are another 10 days to go until we can get a new boiler fitted. We were coping okay with that, but then the oven broke as well. The new oven will come before the new boiler, but I am starting to feel that we're in some kind of disaster simulation. We have portable electric heaters to keep ourselves warm, but the hydroponicum and the hydroponic seedling tray are in rooms that we've closed off and aren't currently heating. They're hovering around the 10 to 12 degrees Celsius mark, but it doesn't seem to be bothering the salad vegetables. Possibly they're growing more slowly than usual, but we haven't noticed because we really don't fancy cold salad. So as we say good riddance to January, let's catch up on the space gardening news. As I mentioned in episode 14, the ISS crew started a new gardening experiment at the beginning of January. This is part of the ongoing VEG-03 investigations and VEG-03i is studying five leafy crops while VEG-03j is testing seed film technology for space use. NASA astronaut Mike Hopkins was tending the space garden when he realised that the wasabi mustards were growing fine, but some of the lettuces weren't. Two plant pillows containing outrageous red romaine lettuce and dragoon lettuce seeds were well behind the other plants and would not catch up by harvest time. So Mike did what an earth gardener would do. He transplanted healthy surplus seedlings to replace the ailing ones. Transplanting seedlings is a delicate job on Earth, and NASA, and NASA had never before attempted it in space. Mike transplanted red Russian kale and extra dwarf pak choy, and the seedlings survived and grew along with their siblings. According to veggie program plant scientist Joya Massa, the behaviour of fluids in microgravity, generally a problem for plants, seems to have helped in this instance. Matt Romain is a NASA space crop production project scientist and VEG-03i science lead. Seeing the inevitable root damage on the transplanted seedlings, he and Joya were doubtful they would survive. According to Matt, this little accidental transplant success will be pretty important and will open up a lot of areas for future development. The ability to transplant crops in space creates flexibility and adds resilience and redundancy when things don't go to plan. With growing space at a premium, transplanting will allow space gardeners to maximise available capacity and help ensure food security. And Mike Hopkins harvested the VEGO3i experiment on the 2nd of February, giving the ISS crew a taste of freshly picked pak choy, wasabi mustard, kale and red romaine lettuce. Axiom Space has announced that the first private flight to the International Space Station will take place in January 2022. A crew of private citizens will blast off on a SpaceX rocket and spend eight days aboard the ISS. Three men, American Larry Connor, Canadian Mark Pathy and Israeli Itan Stib, are each paying $55 million for the privilege. The mission commander, Michael Lopez Alegria, is a former NASA astronaut now working for Axiom Space. According to Mike Suffredini, Axiom's chief executive and president, each of the men will perform educational outreach and scientific experiments during their trip. It remains to be seen whether any of them will become space gardeners. (laughs) 
And SpaceX has just announced that they are planning on launching the first all-commercial astronaut mission to orbit towards the end of 2021. Inspiration4 has been paid for by billionaire Jared Isaacman, founder and CEO of Shift4 Payments. He's donating the other three seats to members of the public, and the details of that are on the website inspiration4.com. So we've entered the era of commercial spaceflight and the number of launches has boomed. There's understandable concern about the carbon footprint of spaceflight. An article in the LA Times last year suggests that launching a SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket into orbit will emit more carbon dioxide than the average car would in two centuries. However, there is some good news on that front as Blue Shift Aerospace has just launched Stardust 1, the first commercial launch of a rocket powered by bio-derived fuel. There are currently no details available as to what that biofuel is made with. However, its inventor Sasha Derry insists that it is entirely non-toxic, carbon neutral and cheaper than the traditional rocket fuel. He says it can be sourced from farms across the world. One of the things I am fascinated by is the Biosphere 2 project. Biosphere 2 was an enclosed ecosystem built in the Arizona desert to demonstrate a viable closed-loop system. On the 26th of September 1991, the world watched as a crew of eight Biospherians sealed themselves inside for a two-year mission. Biosphere 2 included seven different miniature biomes, a rainforest, an ocean with a coral reef, mangrove wetlands, savanna, a fog desert, an agricultural area and the human habitat. The plan was that they would eat only food grown inside, recycling all of their air and water through the various biomes and technical systems. As you can imagine, the crew ran into problems. They couldn't grow enough food and subsisted on a highly nutritious but low-calorie diet while conducting very manual labour. Oxygen levels dropped dangerously and supplemental oxygen had to be pumped into the structure. The crew divided into two factions and the press attacked the project as junk science. A second experiment started in June 1994 but ended abruptly when the management company dissolved. The facility was then run by Columbia University for a few years until the University of Arizona took over in 2007. Biosphere 2 was undoubtedly ahead of its time. Although it ran into problems, it was a tremendous learning experience and an amazing endeavour, so I am pleased to see that this legacy is being built on. A new space analogue for the Moon and Mars, called SAM Squared, is under construction at the Biosphere 2 site. Led by Kai Statz and John Adams, the project boasts an international team of specialists, experts from the University of Arizona, and support from NASA, the National Geographic Society, and commercial partners. SAM Squared will validate the systems and technology that will one day allow for colonies on the Moon, Mars, and beyond. SAM Squared will be a hermetically sealed research station with controlled temperature, humidity and carbon dioxide levels. It will include an airlock and crew quarters and the crew will be provided with pressure suits for EVAs in a half an acre Mars yard. The Environmental Control and Life Support System, ECLSS, will support a team of four and there will be delayed Wi-Fi data delivery, remote monitoring and a mission control centre. And there will be a greenhouse, simulated regolith grow beds filled with crushed basalt and hydroponics. SAM squared will be used for the same kind of habitation studies we see running in other analogues around the world, but given its Biosphere 2 heritage, it is likely to have more of a focus on biology, plant physiology, soil ecology and regolith chemistry, which is a very exciting development. February is Black History Month in the USA. It's October in the UK. And this year's theme is The Black Family, Representation, Identity and Diversity. 
Last summer, I started a project investigating which of NASA's black astronauts had had the chance to become space gardeners by conducting a plant experiment in space. I'm working through NASA's list of African-American astronauts in alphabetical order. It's a labour-intensive process, and so far I have only found the time to look at the first two. First on the list is Michael P. Anderson, who became an astronaut in December 1994 and spent more than 24 days in space on two shuttle missions. He was a mission specialist on STS-89. Launched on the 22nd of January 1998, Space Shuttle Endeavour completed the 8th Shuttle to Mir space station docking mission, delivering scientific equipment, logistical hardware and water. This was also the fifth and final exchange of a US astronaut, dropping off Andy Thomas and bringing David Wolfe back to Earth. From what I have been able to learn, there were two astrobotany experiments on board, and I know that Michael worked with both of them. The closed equilibrated biological aquatic system, CBAS, was a freshwater habitat that aimed to be a self-stabilising artificial ecosystem for use in space and underground. It was based on prototypes of aquatic systems of different sizes developed and built at the Seabass Centre of Excellence at the University of Bochum in Germany. Tests on the ground demonstrated the ecological stability of a biological system consisting of swordtail fish, water snails and microorganisms as consumers, as well as hornweed plants and microalgae as producers. The CBAS mini-module went into space again on the STS-90 Neuralab mission. Its goal was to enable scientists to conduct various gravity-related experiments in the areas of zoology, botany and developmental biology, as well as in interdisciplinary areas such as scientific research on artificial ecosystems. The microgravity plant nutrient experiment, MPNE, tested a porous tube nutrient delivery technology to support plant growth in space. Launched with a dry nutrient delivery system on wheat seeds packed on germination paper, the plan was for the MPNE experiment to be activated on flight day 4, initiating germination of the seeds. A closed-loop feedback control system maintained the proper amount of nutrient solution on the surface of the porous tubes. MPNE contained enough nutrient solution to maintain healthy plant growth for seven days. The crew would have monitored the experiment at regular intervals. Now, STS-89 landed safely on the 31st of January 1998. Sadly, Michael's second mission was STS-107 in February 2003, in which Space Shuttle Columbia disintegrated on re-entry with the loss of all crew members. That's it for this episode. You'll find the show notes on my website, theunconventionalgardener.com, which is also home to a virtual tip jar for those of you who would like to support the show. If you want to become a regular supporter, you can sign up via patreon.com forward slash gardenersofthegalaxy to access extended episodes and bonus content. And a big Gardeners of the Galaxy thank you to Ben Graves, who has done just that. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Orbital Gardens. Gardeners of the Galaxy has its own Facebook page, and if you enjoy chatting about space plants, you can join in the discussions on my new Discord server, which is called the Space Greenhouse. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control, confirming termination of signal. We've had a message from Mark Watney. Next time someone's near the rover, can they please check under the seat? He thinks he's left his house keys there. Mission Control out.